Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 326 of the podcast. It is December 11th, 2018. Joining me here today for the fourth time is my friend and colleague, Katie Anderson. She is a leadership coach, a lean consultant, a speaker, and a writer who currently lives in the San Francisco area. Now, if you want to hear our previous three episodes where uh, we, we focus on Katie's experiences and lessons learned from visiting and living in Japan, you can go to leanblog.org slash 326 to find links. But today we'll be talking about a number of topics related to learning and collaboration. We'll be talking about her upcoming book with Esau Yoshino. We'll talk about the local San Francisco Bay Area AME Consortium, that's the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, uh, the consortium that she's leading, and her next trip to Japan, which you can join, and we'll talk about many other topics. Um, her, Katie's website is kbjanderson.com. She's got a blog and all kinds of information there. I, hope you, I really hope you enjoy the conversation. If you'd like to find other resources, and if you'd like to enter to win a copy of my book, Lean Hospitals, that Katie's giving away, you can visit kbjanderson.com slash mark. Thanks to Katie, and thanks for listening. Katie, hi. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Uh, a guest for the fourth time. How are you? I'm great, Mark. It's always fun to talk with you, and I'm happy to be here and share a conversation with others today. Yeah. Well, you know, we've in previous podcasts, we've really focused a lot on the time you spent living in Japan, uh, learning in Japan and, and going back. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that here today. But, you know, it would be good just, you know, we'll talk about some of the things that you're working on because you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on and, and things I think people would be interested in hearing about. Yeah, great. Well, one of the really unexpected and special delights in my life from the experience of living in Japan was the relationship I developed with Asao Yoshino, who was John Shook's first manager at Toyota and a 40-year Toyota leader. And that relationship has now, uh, after four years of talking and, and learning with each other, has turned into a partnership where we are writing a book together which is a combination of uh, Mr. Yoshino's stories and experiences from Toyota combined with sort of my interpretation about how they're relevant to today. So that's been probably the num my number one priority over the next year is to make that book happen. I need yeah. to align my, uh, my, my writing time with that priority. Yeah, and I'm sure there are a lot of stories um, to draw out from Mr. Yoshino. Um, but he was uh, the, the proverbial, or I guess the character of Sanderson in the book, Managing to Learn, where John Shook yep. was Porter, Yoshino was, really, was Sanderson. Sanderson, right. Yo, Mr. Yoshino and actually the manager who reported to Mr. Yoshino, Ken Kaneda, he, who was the direct boss of John Shook, were the two managers that uh, John Shook acknowledges in Managing to Learn, who were really um, foundational to him learning about what it meant to be a problem solver at Toyota, as well as what it meant to coach problem solving. So it's been a real honor to deepen my relationship with Mr. Yoshino and um, to learn from him. And, and as he always says, which is super humbling for me, is that he always learns from me. So I think, you know, out of the words of, out of the mouth of a true Toyota lean leader, 
that humility and always learning. Yeah. And I assume it was his career path sort of um, typical Japanese career path. Was he at Toyota his whole career? He was, although he considers him, you know, he's on his third or fourth career now, but his, Mm -hmm. his major professional career, which uh, spanned a bit over 40 years when he went out of um, university, he went straight to Toyota and then uh, he retired in his sixties. Uh, mm-hmm. from Toyota. 14 years of his career were spent in the United States, though. Um, a few out, four out here in the Bay Area where I'm located in support of all the NUMI expatriates, and mm-hmm. then some other ta- years um, out in Torrance and in Orlando. Well, it's, it's exciting to hear about the book project. I mean, is there a working title at this point, or that's always kind of hard to yeah. figure out? Like, we, we're, we have not thrown a stake in the ground with a working title yet, but uh, I have a few things I'm, I'm contemplating, but I think we're going to see sort of how the book starts to shape up a little bit more before mm-hmm. um, we go with the title. We've done a ton of interviews uh, over the course of the last six months, almost every two weeks, except when mm-hmm. we've been traveling, we've been doing calls and talks about you know, his experiences and then, of course, all the blog posts that I've been writing about um, our conversations over the last uh, three and a half years uh, have been are going to be incorporated as well. What, what I mean, um, you know, not to get into the writing process too deep, since this isn't a book writing podcast. But <laughs> yeah, I think you know, my experience, like with my last book, you're you're, you're writing, and then it, like at some point, like or like some phrase will jump out, and you'll say, "Oh, that might be it." Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, that epiphany happening for me as well. And I haven't gotten as deep into the actual uh, writing process, although I've, I have over 17,000 words that I've pulled together based on our interviews and uh, correspondence and blog posts. So now it's time to really think about how do we shape this into an actual book. So through that massaging and forming, I, I am sure that a, a great name will come our way. Maybe we can even have a, people can vote on it as if we have a few. So, what, I mean, what, what, how do you see this coming together in terms of some of the major themes? I mean, I think you've sort of cool. alluded to a few of them, um, leading with humility and, and learning and um, re- reflections, but um, were, were some of these themes um, sort of brought out. Um, I want to hear or ask you about the, the presentation that the two of you did or the joint session that you did in the European Lean Healthcare Summit recently. Yeah, so yeah, the, the book is going to be formed around different leadership themes, as well as sharing some insights and stories that many people probably don't know about in terms of how Toyota really intentionally created this culture of problem solving and learning. Mm-hmm. One of the areas that we focused on and that we, we shared at the European Lean Healthcare Summit just this past, I guess, just a month ago in early October of 2018 was the topic of asking effective questions and how that is so fundamental to creating a learning organization. And it was super fun. Uh, so it was almost like we did a test of uh, this partnership when we did these breakout learning sessions uh, that we did one in the morning, one in the afternoon of Mr. Yoshino sharing some of his stories and experiences through a Q&A session that I facilitated and then going into some more frameworks about asking questions and some time for people to practice in the audience. So 75 minutes, it was pretty quick, but it was nice to meld sort of both of our experiences uh, and create what I thought was a pretty cool learning experience for participants. 
you know, you, I mean, you're by no means a newbie to, to lean or the Toyota production system. So you have your own experiences and reflections. And I'm, I'm curious, will the book explore your experiences in, in American organization or organizations or maybe at the early stages of trying to create that culture and how that compares to his or Toyota's early stages? Mm. So yes, um, that's my in intention is to not have the book just be purely stories from Mr. Yoshino's experiences, but how can I help connect those experiences, say, of what has, was happening at Toyota 30, 20 years ago and what that means and how, what we, how we can bring those experiences to what we're doing in our own organizations. You know, Toyota didn't just become what we know it today. And Mr. Yoshino was really at some of those critical inflection points at Toyota's history and was in these sort of organizational development leadership roles of supporting, you know, the development and learning around, say, how do we practice catch ball? How do we uh, really do Hoshin Connery, not from a technical perspective, but from a leadership alignment perspective? And so taking those insights from his experiments in learning to then what we can do in our own organizations. So um, that's sort of how we see that partnership happening through the book. And now, and you've been doing a workshop um, the last couple of years focused around the, the asking questions, coach, lean coaching. I don't think we've really talked about in the pot that in the podcast before, if you can share a little bit about that. Sure. I, I learned so much from my own coach and mentor, Mar Margie Hegany is almost it's sort of interesting too. A side note, uh, I feel like Mr. Yoshino is the beginning of my coaching family tree. So Mr. <laughs> Yoshino developed John Shook, and then John Shook was the coach and mentor to Margie Hegany, and Margie Hegany yeah. was one of my coaches and mentors. And and now I'm reconnected with Mr. Yoshino, but I uh, have learned a lot about over the last you know five five years, but well, more than that, but you know, 10 years, but really the five years in my uh, personal uh, improvement workshops and how to help people get more clarity on their own habits and behaviors as leaders and to create some structures for practice. I'm actually, uh, I will have, by the time this is published, have led a workshop, uh, a, a podcast, a webinar on intentional daily practice and, and sharing some of the the principles that I lead in my workshop. But how can we use the structure of A3 thinking to also support personal improvement and align that with, uh, with a practice plan? So it's not just problem solving for our organizational processes, but also considering ourselves a business condition that needs improvement to be able to achieve the outcomes that we want to see in our organization and to put some more intention and deliberateness to improving ourselves and to practicing every day at getting a bit better. And so the coaching workshops I lead touch on sort of the qualities that we need to have um, showing up as a coach, either in a formalized role called coach uh, or as a leader in our organizations, and then how we can create some more practice for ourselves and support the development of others. Yeah, so I mean, what, what would you say are some of those qualities of a coach, some of the key qualities that, that lead to someone really being uh, as effective as they could be as a coach or more effective than they are today? Mm. Well, certainly that quality that Mr. Yoshino and I talked about at the Lean Healthcare Summit, which was 
um, having a greater habit of showing up by asking more effective questions rather than giving our opinion all the time. I think my experience for myself personally is that it's very easy for us to fall into the habit of uh, being the expert, but if we're really wanting to create capability of problem solving with other people, uh, when, we, when we give the answer or what we think is the answer all the time, we're really missing out on that development opportunity. So that's one sort of fundamental coaching habit that we need to develop all of us. And again, having the, you know, listening is of course an important skill as well. And then also having the courage and ability to hold up the mirror. So to give uh, evidence without judgment to people to help them see how their behavior is impacting um, outcomes or you know what they were actually saying and doing it in a non-judgmental way but in a supportive mm-hmm. way. Yeah, and, you know, to one of those points, I mean, I've heard John Shook say, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard him say this in, in, in different settings, the idea of you know, when, a, when a leader gives an answer to an employee that you're robbing the employee of an opportunity to develop. And I, you know, I think right. that's, you know, there's, there's this idea where, uh, you know, I think a lot of times leaders think it's just, uh, it's quicker, it's necessary, mm. it's just more expeditious. Like, well, I know the answer, I'm just gonna give it to them. Uh, the manager might not really, you know, they might think they have the answer and maybe they don't. And even if they do have the answer, you know, it seems like in the short term, okay, yeah, you solved the problem, but now long term, what have you done to undercut the development of the organization? So I mean, I, you know, I always come back to the idea of, you know, Jeff Liker's book, The Toyota Way, you know, the, the first principle of those 14 principles being about taking the long term perspective. Yes. And it seems like a lot of this coaching, whether it's through um, daily Kaizen ideas or an A3 or, you know, coaching through strategy deployment, um, you know, that, that, that it, the investment in developing people uh, is, is a long-term perspective. For sure. I mean, Mr. Yoshino always says you have to be patient. And I think uh, we are not as patient here in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, we often treat everything as an emergency that needs to be fixed now. And I know in healthcare, there often are, in other organizations too, true emergencies, but when we treat everything as something where we need to come in and be fast and quick about it, we're really not doing deeper problem solving and we're then robbing people of that opportunity to take some responsibility and ownership for thinking. So yeah. as, uh, as a coach or as a leader who is playing that coaching role, how can we provide a little bit more space to have time for thinking? And so that's a great challenge for us as we're wanting yeah. to transform our organizations. You know, you talked about the difference between sharing opinions and asking questions. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you touch on this in the workshop in your own coaching is that often an opinion gets disguised mm. as a question. Yep. You know, um, why don't you do such and such? Well, that, that's, that's a very at best a leading question. It's right. a suggestion with a question mark at the end. So yeah, how, for sure. How, how can you try to avoid that or be more aware of, of that habit? Yep. I actually have a slide that is a, a wolf's face with a sheep's body. And, uh, you know, really are those leading and prompting questions truly are uh, our ideas dressed up as a question. I would say first and foremost, to start to create some awareness for yourself about the quality of your questions. 
and catch yourself. I mean, you will try, try and count tomorrow or today how many leading questions you ask. If you bring some awareness to it, you'll be shocked and, and surprised. And then think to yourself and then create some, actually rephrase, how could you rephrase the question that you're asking as a what or how question? So mm. if you lead with what or how, you are more likely to be ask, asking like a true humble inquiry question as Edgar Schein would describe it, one that is really open-ended and allowing someone else to do some thinking. Uh, so although if you say, you know, what do you think, what about trying such and such my idea, that is still a leading right. question. But still, you can, <laughs> instead of how about talking to, um, to, you know, to Sally about that, you could say, who have you considered talking to? That's not a what or how, but again, a who is also that humble inquiry. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I think there's also a time where a humble inquiry question can become problematic because of the situation or because of the level of sure. authority or you know position someone's at in the hierarchy. Where I think of you know a well-intended um, executive coming to a department and, and they're hearing somebody present out about a Kaizen improvement or an A3. And, you know, I think there, there's a time and a place for a leader um, to really just kind of celebrate and cheerlead and basically say, thank you. Good job. Please yeah. do more. You know? Uh, um, well, absolutely. And this gets back yeah. to the concept of intention as well, which is a, a word that is really meaningful for me. But uh, so your, what is your intention in that moment? Are you going to Gemba as, you know, a leader to support problem solving or is your role in that moment really to, as you said, support and celebrate. And so to create some awareness for yourself of what is the right way to be showing up that's going to be most effective for that group in that situation or that individual, and then aligning your behaviors with what's going to be the most helpful for that, for that group. Yeah. Because, you know, I've, I've seen, um, I'll call it, um, humble, but clumsy inquiry. If I had to try to create a label where, you know, somebody, um, you know, does their report and the executive asks a question like, well, did you consider doing such and such? And then that ends up, that ends up coming across as a criticism. Well, right. The executive's so that- curiosity gets interpreted as uh, you should have done such and such. And, and so I think sometimes leaders forget that a question, that same question to appear might be received very differently in a different situation than a frontline staff member who's already nervous to begin with, maybe mm. presenting to an executive. And then unfortunately, you know, the, the employee walks away with, well, the boss thought I did the wrong thing, which yeah. not, was not their intent. Right. And so, you know, even that question you, you just said uh, hypothetically that the leader would say is a, is a leading question, uh, one of those prompting questions. And, and right. often those do end up landing as a sense of criticism, like you didn't, you haven't done something right. And so to really, as a leader, to create some more awareness for yourself on that, uh, a tip that I have found helpful when you're practicing trying to show up better and not be as clumsy is to have mm-hmm. someone write down verbatim what you're saying. This is a great tool for any coach. And then to give it to you as uh, verbatim re- evidence of, of what mm-hmm. you said, say, at that Gemba board. And it can be very powerful. Uh, some leaders that I've worked with have, have found that that direct evidence has really helped accelerate their awareness of what's actually coming out mm-hmm. of their mouth. 
and they may not think that they're asking so many closed-ended questions. Yeah. Now, I mean, do, do you ever use um, either an audio or video recording to try to let someone kind of review their own performance in a way? Kind of watch, you know, an athlete might watch game film of what they did and how it looked. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, you know, as long as everyone feels comfortable with that happening. Sure. Sometimes yeah. that may um, create some awkwardness in, in, in the room or the, in the mm -hmm. situation. So I think there are a variety mm -hmm. of ways that you can get that evidence, but something super simple, just writing down verbatim is a super easy way that someone can kind of secretively in the back be doing that for you. But certainly audio video yeah. recording can be a great powerful tool as well. Yeah. And even I, th I think back to that scenario, I think I, you know, the executive asked, you know, did you, did you, um, how did I phrase it? Why did you consider doing such yeah. and such? Yep. Which is a yes or no question. Right. It's a leading question. It's a yes or no question. Um, what else did you consider? I think, you know, in, in, in some environments, I mean, I've heard, you know, Toyota people say that, you know, leaders, part of respect would include challenging people. And if somebody proposes a solution to challenge them and think, well, you know, what, what else could you mm. possibly do? But I could see where maybe in the early stages of developing a culture of, um, of improvement that, that people might be, or some people might be a little bit more sensitive to where yeah. they're not ready to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, I guess maybe it's a difference between after action review and during the problem solving process. Maybe yeah. that's a distinction too. Yeah. So I, I agree with what you said in, in those early stages, it, it can feel very different and something that I have found that can be helpful, especially in those early stages is for leaders to be transparent about what their intention is at the beginning and why they're asking questions. So I'm here, I'm going to ask you some questions. Um, this is in support of, you know, us achieving our targets or learning what, how I can best support you. And even say at the end saying, I'm going to ask you a question at the end to get feedback on how I was asking questions because I'm trying to become more effective in this way. Uh, so saying, you know, what was a helpful question for you today? And that gives feedback and also starts to create that uh, underlying trust that is really essential for mm -hmm. this type of coaching questioning to happen. I mean, that if you don't have that trust, then it's right. not going to be effective. So how, do you, how can you create that trust and sense that the leader is there truly in support of, of the, the person at the gimbal wall or whomever? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, just kind of wrap up a little bit of the discussion about the upcoming book and your work with Mr. Yoshino. Really excited about that. And um, uh, when, 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 when the book is ready, maybe we can do a podcast um, uh, about the book as you get ready to For launch. For sure. I'd love that. Um, but, you know, I, as we've, as we've um, talked privately and we were kind of brainstorming topics, um, some of the other things that you're working on kind of uh, – a different way of sharing reflections and learning and collaborating uh, is some work that you're doing in the San Francisco area. So I'm curious to, to hear about that. Maybe we can kind of, you know, compare notes about different things that we've, we've tried in different cities and, and how we can learn within our community. Yeah, great. Well, for the last year, I have been working with the Association for Manufacturing Excellence as the convener and facilitator for a local learning consortium in the San Francisco Bay Area, all focused around 
lean thinking and practice and operational excellence. And there are, AME has really put this focus on these localized learning networks because of the way that we can come together in a short drive to go and see with, from different organizations, to have a chance to dive deep into topics, to do shared learning experiences like workshops uh, or um, other training or sharing, uh, you know, or, or visiting each other for different types of events and learning sessions. So it's been great for the groups that have, or the companies who've decided to join us. We have 10 member companies. At this point, we just passed our six month mark. We launched in April of 2018, and we're still looking for companies in the Bay Area who are interested in collaborating through shared learning with other, with other companies. We have a diverse group of industries. We have a lot of healthcare companies actually, which is, mm. which is really exciting. And then, you know, a few different manufacturing companies and a biotech company. So uh, they were all not sure how it was going to work in the beginning. And it's exciting to hear from them about how these, just these opportunities to learn across industries and even within industry yeah. is really helpful to get out of your own day-to-day -day environment and uh, hear what other companies at different stages of their uh, lean journey are at or even their type, the type of organization. And there are a few other AME consortium across the country as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, um, how well defined is that model from AME or is the idea that each metro area or the boundaries of your local collaboration consortium, um, the members can define what they want or what they need or what, you know, how much flexibility is there? It's, it's, it's very flexible. It's right. It's all locally driven but with you know sort of national support and so say the we facilitators all have a monthly call where we can learn and share best practices with each other and get ideas wow. as well that we could bring forward uh to our groups which has been helpful for me personally as the facilitator and then also there are probably going to be some opportunities for cross consortium learning as well but it's really truly based on what each individual consortium members that what what they want to focus on and how they want to be structured yeah so nationally there's there's sort of a, a network of networks or a consortium of consortia <laughs> yes it's a consortium of consortia facilitators yes yeah is that the plural for consortiums consortia 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 thank you <laughs> ia yes ah uh, okay but um so you've got different industries involved, um, which which is great to hear. And um, are 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 there companies that are very different stages of? Has it? Well, I'll use the phrase "lean journey." Yeah, um, I know. I hate. Link, 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 cliche. But um, are are they all companies that would consider themselves fairly advanced, or is there a range? It's, it's a range. Means. <laughs> right. Well, no, so it's, it's definitely a range. So a range both in terms of the structure of the companies. We have some smaller uh, organizations with, you know, just, you know, under 100 or under 75 people uh, where their lean leaders are their manufacturing or operational leaders. And then we have some huge companies like Genentech and Kaiser Permanente or Sutter Health, where they have, you know, have a large number of sites and, um, you know, different 
amounts of internal lean or performance improvement support. And they're all on different places in their, you know, quote, quote unquote, lean journey. But mm -hmm. regardless of that, they all have different um, things that the, different, the other organizations have learned from them. And that's been really um, powerful as well. So not to see different frameworks and models and applications yeah. and, and frankly, the, one of the big takeaways is, is it's not easy no matter where you are um, right. and what your organization is and how do we really support people uh, as a key theme from coming from it. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully there's a, there's a greater recognition that organizations can learn from organizations that are not exactly like them. Like I think back, you know, maybe I'm, you know, I'm sure this still happens today, but I think of like, you know, old lean email lists or groups as a part of where, you know, I'd say, you know, somebody would post and say, you know, we, we want to find another Vermont based company of 200 to 300 employees um, that, you know, that has a left-handed CEO and more right. than one location and like this kind laundry list of you know, like, well, you, you don't need to find your long lost twin. Um, you, you, you could learn from organizations that, right. that are different from you. Right. Correct. And what's nice about this is, you know, we're all within a two hour drive of each other, you know, so obviously some are closer, but if you go from, you know, North to South, and so there is that opportunity for continuity for learning sure. with each other. So. Yeah. And so, I mean, who, who do you see participating from the member companies? Um, what levels of the organization? Is it mostly kind of like the, the, the lean facility, the, the, the full-time lean continuous improvement people, executives, both? It depends. It, it depends on the organization. So, we have a lot of the sort of performance improvement leaders who come to the team, but we also, especially for those organizations that have uh, where their their lean resources are there, you know, operational leaders, those those people are coming as well. And we're also we talked about at our session on our, our sort of plan next six months planning session about how do we have opportunities for other leaders within the organization to come to different events as well. So it's, it's a mix and also, you know, some, some events will be on the consortium leadership team. So for some continuity of discussion and then other events are open to whomever each individual company thinks is going to get the most value out of say that site visit or that roundtable discussion. Yeah. And the site visits, um, you know, really, I, I, from some of my own experience, I think, you know, really powerful. When I was in Phoenix, this is going back to, you know, uh, 2004, uh, I was working for Honeywell. That was the last job I had in the manufacturing company. Mm -hmm. And there was a local, very loosely affiliated, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a formal organization, but it was just kind of a loose coalition of people uh, who, who knew each other. In different ways. And we had people from um, companies like Medtronic and Intel and uh, Honeywell and some other companies. And, you know, nobody was competing with each other. And so we would do, you know, these quarterly um, Gemba visits to, to each other's organization. And that was actually my first exposure to lean healthcare was because of mm. that, that local Phoenix um, uh, collaboration activity where there were uh, two women who had left Motorola 
And I forget if they were consultants or hired in as employees. My memory's fuzzy, but fuzzy. But there was um, a hospital in Scottsdale, Arizona, that we went to, and they were kind of showing showing us in the visit some work that was taking place in the emergency department. And that that was my first eye opening to mm. the possibility. I wouldn't have sat there. Um, you know, in my in my uh, role in a factory and daydreamed about, huh, I wonder if this would work in healthcare because, you know, knock on wood, I mean, I was a healthy person and, you know, not inspired uh, to move into healthcare because of any experiences as a patient or, mm. uh, or anything. But I, I really appreciated, you know, I'm thankful for the serendipity that came from putting time into that, that sort of collaboration. Um, so, you know, hopefully people participating with you or in other cities have their own moments of, uh, you know, of, of serendipity to, uh, you know, some discovery that they take back to their workplace that's a, a pivotal moment for them in, in some other way. Right. I mean, that's, that's the whole point is how do we, how do each of the organizations help each other learn and get better at getting better? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's... First six months is going great, and so it's it's a it's a fabulous group to be part of, and and that collaborative shared learning, I think, is just as a wonderful model for for all of us. And even if you aren't in an area that has sort of an official consortium going, what what are other ways that you can learn from others and go see and sort of help have that support for yourself um, within your or you know to help your organization? Yeah. And so maybe, you know, the, the model, you know, um, I mean, it sounds like a great model that, that you and um, others through AME are working with because, you know, I think the, the, there's, there's part of the downside of the kind of, I'll call it the loose coalition affiliation model is, you know, when I moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area in 2005, um, we, we've had different bursts of activity of trying to bring people together. Um, you know, we have uh, nowadays, you know, through LinkedIn, a LinkedIn group with maybe 300 people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm. And, you know, I think we've, we've struggled where, you know, we try to figure out something that works for different people's schedules. We try to do a happy hour. I've tried to mm. do some lean, lean coffees. And uh, part of the challenge we have, and maybe similar in the Bay Area, Dallas-Fort Worth, we yeah. call it one mm. metro area, but at the peak traffic it's it's well this you i'm not trying to say the peak here is not peak bay area traffic but it's more than an hour from downtown dallas to downtown fort worth we don't have great public transportation here at that um, level so it's been a struggle if we try to do an event that's in the middle of the metroplex as we call it here that ends up being the worst of both worlds and so, you know, I was kind of trying to reflect and say, well, maybe we really need, you know, the Dallas people and the Fort Worth people should kind of just do their own thing on their side of town. And at least it's easier for half the people instead of being not so easy for anybody. Um, I mean, are, are, how are you addressing that between San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, points in between? So right now, you know, as we're getting started, we're just, uh, we, we have the dates on the calendar far in advance and we try and set our scheduled to not be at peak, the peak hours, mm-hmm. but people have been traveling and driving. And as we grow and get bigger, you know, we maybe will start segmenting it by, by region, but that's definitely an issue in consideration, but has not yet been a barrier for participation. So 
Well, that's good. And, yeah. I, and I think I, I hear a tip there where, you know, with our efforts here in the DFW area, it hasn't been scheduled or programmed out yeah. you know, far enough in advance. For example, we, so one of my roles as a facilitator is to manage the calendar and we have six monthly um, planning meetings. And so we set the pace and then we set dates in advance and a host. And so people can really plan their schedules around it. For example, we've determined that Fridays between the hours of about nine and two to three are the best because it gives people, even if they have to travel two hours, you know, a little bit of time in the morning to make that happen. And so that's, that's our, been our countermeasure to date. And um, on our check adjust, people thought it was going well. So yeah. we are going to keep with that plan for the next year as well. Yeah. So you can get the voice of the, of the customer, but then at some point you've got to experiment with some things and yeah. see what happens. And maybe the, sometimes there's a gap between what people say works and what actually works. So yeah, figure that out. Right. Yeah. And it's usually only a problem if we're going from one end to the other, most often someone's in between somewhere. So yeah, yeah but have, having a planned calendar and having a group that you've committed to for shared learning is definitely an enabler opposed to a casual affiliation of, of one-offs. And that's where the yeah. power of the consortium is because um, it has that commitment. Yeah. So if somebody listening is in the Bay area and they're interested in this, um, you know, I'll, I'll, we're going to talk a little bit more and you share contact info again at the end, but how, how can people reach out to you about possibly or learning more about possibly joining this? Right. So on the AME website, ame.org, if you do go backslash, backslash consortia, it has links to all the different consortium. Uh, and you could also do uh, backslash AME slash San Francisco slash Bay Area consortium. But I would just go to the consortia webpage and I'll have a link on my, on my site too. And I'll share that with, with, uh, with Mark. So to go there will be the best. And, and then if you're in different metro areas, you can find out what's going on, like San Diego and Cleveland and Salt Lake City, um, Indianapolis, all these areas have consortia going on. And a savvy listener who is listening to this, not in their car, but maybe at their desk, may have already Googled this. So sure enough, if you Google AME San Francisco Consortium, there it is. So yep. Yep. <laughs> savvy. Easy, 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 easy. Well, this is new. I guess, you know, Google updates and indexes uh, pretty regularly. So there we go. It's out yep. there. And also you can just email me and I can send you information. So katie at kbjanderson.com. So that's, if you're interested, also yeah. the best way to get involved. Yeah. So then the other thing we were going to talk about is kind of at the opposite end of the local learning and collaboration <laughs> spectrum is going, at least for what's me in Dallas, halfway around the world um, to Japan. So you, you, you're going to be going back and leading a trip. And so, you know, thought we'd talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm super excited. When, when we moved to Japan almost four years ago, I thought, you know, I wanted to use that time with intention and learn as much as I could, which is why I started writing my blog. And I thought too, down the line, maybe I could be sharing this experience with others. So to be able to do that now is really special. I led a trip this past May. We had 15 people go to Japan for a fabulous week of learning. And now I'm planning another open enrollment trip for May 12th to 19th for 2019. And one of the unique parts about this is that Mr. Yoshino is also going to join the group for at least three days and maybe more, mm -hmm. depending on what his schedule will allow. 
and not just give lectures, which he does for some different groups who come through, but really spend the full day um, over three days with the group on the bus, going to Gemba, going to Toyota, going to the suppliers and having those conversations with us and also intimate conversations and go to the town of Ashkaga, which I know you and I have talked about before, the 5S mm -hmm. uh, capital of the world. I don't, I don't know if they're calling themselves that anymore, but uh, and but a few other. Didn't they call themselves the 5S city though? Yeah, the 5S city, uh, I think it was the Mecca is what they, the oh. word that they were using back on some of their promotional days. <laughs> and, you know, one of the, another special relationship that I developed in Japan was with a woman named Mrs. Ogura, who is the uh, vice president of operations for Ogura Metal. And it's really rare to see a woman leading up a manufacturing organization mm. and facility mm -hmm. uh, in Japan. And so it's pretty great and powerful to hear uh, from a woman as well, not just your stereotypical Japanese um, male manufacturing model, which is also you can learn a lot from as well, but to have some diversity yeah. is pretty great to offer. Yeah. And, you know, there's the, I went back, um, back uh, in early October. It was my fourth uh, time being in Japan, disturbing the harmony, as they say. Yes, the wah. <laughs> disturbing the wah um, through, you know, just, just by, Try, but you know it's interesting to try to uh, you, know, you just see even you know cultural differences and as you know we've we've talked before and you've blogged about so well the idea you know the, the, that that as you said earlier Toyota very intentionally created a culture that their culture is not the default Japanese mm. business culture that there are elements of Japanese um, societal national culture that. Um, are advantages and some that are disadvantages. Yeah. But, I mean, I think just to go and see and learn that for yourself. And, you know, I think of details that come to mind, like people do not jaywalk. They do not cross um, against the light in yeah. Japan. I was out, I was jet lagged um, 530 in the morning in Nagoya going out for a walk and it's really safe and I don't have to worry about any problems there. But like, you know, stopping at a light and uh, the red do not cross uh, is lit up and there's no traffic because it's so early. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm going to try to fit in with the other Japanese who are standing here patiently waiting for the light to turn green. You know? Yep. Well, and it's that, uh, right. So some of those things about rule following rules can make it easier to maybe have compliance with standard work. Um, but other things maybe make it less easy to, for problem solving or to speak up or uh, I remember this, so I think it's, it's a fascinating topic to just go see and see what some organizations have done really effectively to create what we call lean yeah. thinking and practices and that to really see it's not just a Japanese thing um, mm -hmm. and that we all have different challenges to overcome and different countermeasures yeah. to put in place. Yeah. Well, and um, I'm still just storytelling mode. Our pal Dan Markovitz, who was along yeah. on the trip, he went out for a run. I'm a walker. He's a runner. But um, I, he did jaywalk. And he said a Japanese police car over the uh, loudspeaker. Kind of, uh, he, he said, you know, and it was in Japanese. I'm like, they must, you know. Dan well, Dan speaks look, Japanese, so he that's does, okay. But, he, you know, <laughs> but like he says, he doesn't look like he speaks or understands Japanese. And in Japanese, the, the, the officer said something like, that's unsafe. <laughs> which is different than hey don't do that yeah <laughs> I mean, 
Um, right. It's the re it's giving the purpose and the reason behind the rule yeah. rather than than blaming. Get a little yeah. TWI in there. Yeah, uh, he got scolded a little bit, but you know, there, there's also um, you know those moments. Um, I'll let you um, say the word, but I think you know the customer service orientation. I think does seem to be a, one aspect of Japanese society that I think gets embedded in the customer focus of Lean. You know, when I got to uh, my hotel in Nagoya. I was oh, traveling yeah. with a sport coat and somehow when uh, I was traveling, I had it hung up on my seat and I don't know, I got at, at the end of the flight to uh, Tokyo, I noticed uh, the, the button was broken. And of course it's the button that um, yeah, it just it kind of cracked in half. The one that actually, you know, actually buttoned in the front of the sport coat. So I got to the hotel and asked if they could, uh, if they could help me with that, if they could get it repaired or, or what have you. And the, um, the uh, the concierge um, said, "Well, I'll, let me find out." You know, he went and he researched it. And um, when I got back to my room later, there was a note, not only saying, "Well, yes, we can do it," but apologizing. We're very sorry that we're going to have to ask you to come back to the desk again. Yeah. <laughs> that was that didn't seem like anything that merited uh, an apology. They were being extremely helpful, deferential. Um, yeah, You're the customer. Yeah. But, but what, what, what's the word or the concept there around that customer service concept? Emotenashi. I've written a few blog posts about some of those similar experiences that I've had, which are, it's pretty amazing. Although I think it's a, a dialogue you and I had while I was living in Japan that even though this concept of emotenashi, it's, the customer service truly is amazing. That, uh, and they, it's high, highly consistent they also have low levels of customization where we're used to being able to customize our requests here in the United States and probably many other Western countries. But if you, mm. if something on the menu yeah. says it, it comes with tomatoes, don't ask for no tomatoes. It, <laughs> they're going to put the tomatoes on the sandwich because they'll just say, sorry, we can't do that. And so uh, it's an interesting concept where the service is, is there and the, uh, that deference but at the same time, they think within the box of what the rule has oh. set around how things are defined. Like one of my first experiences when I moved there, our, our, our ice cream store, you could have a top, a lid for your takeaway ice cream only if you had one flavor, but not if you had two. And they even had a little visual display on that. And it was, I was like, whoa, why Japan, why? why? Yeah. Uh, and they, they, when I asked for a lid, they were like, no, we cannot give you a lid. And so yeah, <laughs> they're so very maybe, nice about it. They're very nice about it. Oh, but yeah, they yeah. So I'll, I'll link to some of those blog posts uh, in the blog post for this episode. Yeah, if, someone, if someone wants to Google Omotanashi and you spell it wrong, Google will probably politely suggest the correct yes. spelling. Yes, and I, I will too. And for listeners here, I'm going to put together some different resources and specials, um, especially around the Japan trip as well for you if you're interested. So go to kbjanderson.com backslash Mark, M-A-R-K. Uh, you can find some special things for you too. Ah, there. okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you awesome. for, uh, for doing that. And and thank you for, um, you know, coming here and um, coming back on the podcast and talking about, you know, different ways of learning and reflecting and collaborating. Uh, really, really enjoy hearing what you're working on and uh, especially excited about the book. So good luck with that. And um, do, do you have any final thought um, as we wrap up here? Sure. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Mark, as well. 
And I'd say for people to set your intention for learning and how are you are going to get better every day so to bring that practice and, um, and to think about how you can get better at getting better through yourself or with others. And certainly to come to Japan with me and to, to, yeah. learn, uh, <laughs> to learn in the Gemba in Japan is always an amazing experience. It is. It is. So, um, Katie, thanks again. And um, keep thanks, up Mark. with the writing and the blogging and the book. Good luck with everything. And we'll, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Sounds good. Talk to you later, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.